You guys may not know this, but I had a podcast in the past, and it was a fun thing to do, but it was a challenge to get my podcast to all the locations where everybody listened to podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the such were just a lot of work to manage to get everything where it needed to be. Now, though, I found Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors too so that you can get paid to podcast. How awesome is that? Honestly, I'm really happy to find Anchor again because I love podcasting. I love talking about what I do and sharing with you all the things that I like to do as well. So if you're interested in starting a podcast like I am, go to anchor.fm slash start. That's anchor.fm slash start and join today for your free podcast and become part of the community. I can't wait to hear what you put out on anchor.fm slash start. Hey everybody, welcome back to Elevated Office. My name is Eric McGrew. I'm the host of the show. I'm also the producer of this show. I'm the owner of Eric's Tree Service in Montrose, Colorado. And today on Season 2, Episode 14, we are going to talk about drawing the moral line for tree work. So before we get started on this topic as a full-on let's here we go, I want to tell you guys a couple of things first. First, I am super stoked to be coming to you with this new episode. I have recently really rejuvenated my interest in the podcast. Not that I had lost interest. It just gets hard sometimes to balance the podcast with uh, real life work of being a tree service operator, a small tree service, of course, and also working with my sponsors who I love dearly, by the way, they help me out. It just becomes a balance and a challenge to kind of juggle all this stuff, right? But you guys have been showing the support for Elevated Office, and I am seeing it. I've got some really good backers behind me. Um, of course, my sponsors, GapArborSupply.com, who took me on early on, and also WeaverArborist.com, who I'm super stoked to be not only working with, for uh, sponsorships and promoting them, but also to be an innovator with them and working on new designs and doing product analysis. Those guys have been great. Go check them out. One of my favorite products from Weaver Arborist are the Pro Cool Pads for your spikes and spurs. They are available for various different kinds of um, shanks, Buckingham, and different kinds of spikes. So you can get those directly through Weaver arborist.com or you can also buy them through gaparborsupply.com and uh, get a good deal on those and of course gap arbor supply just sent me a box of uh, goods that i bought from them so i, I don't get free products per, per se through gap arbor supply um, i get a really good discount through them and i can tell you that even without a good discount they are super competitive don't forget that with Gap Arbor Supply, you get more than just great product at a great price. What you're buying is you are buying knowledge. Those guys know what they're talking about, and they can set you on the right path with equipment that can benefit you. If you use Tree Climb, you get 10% off. And don't forget that they have free shipping on all continental U.S. orders and free two-day shipping on all orders over $100. So get in touch with them via their website gaparborsupply.com 
or via calling them and talk to one of the guys in the shop, Kyle or Ray or whoever it may be. Tim with Arb Dogs was there uh, this last couple of weeks and was helping out and he was super helpful. Great guy, got to know him a little bit and we are going to try to get him on the show here soon. So that'll be awesome. I'm looking for new guests to have on the show for you guys as well. So before we uh, continue on with the show, we are going to talk about a product review for this week. All right, so what can I say? I said we were going to do a product review, but really what we're going to do today is a product um, comparison, I guess, is more the thing. So recently, part of the, the deal that I get with being sponsored from uh, Gap Arbor Supply as well as from Weaver Arborist is I get to test out new stuff for free, right? And that's that's pretty awesome, but really the benefit for it is, uh, or for me, is that I get to share that information along with you guys. And recently, uh, I was speaking with Ray over at Gap Arborist Supply, and he said, hey man, I got this uh, saw in stock, I want to know what you think about it, and we talked about it. he sent me one out to, to give a go for, and in full disclosure, the thing was free to me. And so I get it, and it's a Jameson saw. It's a hand saw. It comes in a scabbard, and it is a um, best best way to explain it is it's a replica of a uh, silky saw, right? I mean, they they kind of have taken the the silky zubat or zubot or however you say the thing. Uh, you know which one I'm talking about, and they have. Uh, copied that general design the teeth are very similar the curve is very similar there's even a slight nubbin on the end of the saw that represents the tip and nose of the Zubat and um, the reality of it is though is that it's not quite the same quality now with all that being said let, let's put this into perspective was it supposed to be a, a silky saw well um, no is it supposed to attract the potential silky buyer? Yes, for sure. Um, it looks very similar, has a few similar features to it. Uh, it definitely has some robustness to it as far as a saw goes. Um, it's a it's a slight bit heavier than the Zubat is, and the the blade and the spine are slightly thicker. So it doesn't flex quite as much but with all that um it, as much as you guys may have heard me complain in times past on my videos or whatnot about my zubat um pole saws the blades breaking or whatever you want to say which they do and i get frustrated with them um there is very little on the market that i have found that overall competes with the silky's performance and cutting okay and this saw is definitely a bit the the jameson saw is a bit more um robust it doesn't flex it doesn't break as easily but but right it does not hold the the sharpness quite as long as the the silky saw does um the handle doesn't feel quite as comfortable or ergonomic in your hand as the the zubot does um it, the the back area on the the um, tang it doesn't have quite the opening for a carabiner a small carabiner like an accessory carabiner through petzl or rock exotica or 
um, DMM to go through there uh, if you want it on a lanyard on the saw itself. Um, then there's these other little nuances of the saw. So uh, the, the pros to it are is that the whole saw is only like 40, $46 or something like that. I want to say it's $45.99 through most people. So it's super affordable. Um, the, the con to it is, well, there's a number of cons, but the con to it is, is that it does not have replaceable blades. So you basically have to buy a new saw every time. And the problem with that to me is you're going to end up with a million scabbards. Okay. If you keep using this saw. So the, the pros to it are, it's definitely budget friendly, especially if you're like getting into climbing or getting into using hand saws like this it is sharp when you get it it stays fairly sharp on the on the points of the teeth for quite a while it does cake up a bit more than the the silky zubot does um it does come with a scabbard but that scabbard is a cheaper plastic uh, so it is lighter on your saddle, maybe. I think it probably is lighter overall on the saddle than maybe the, the Silky is. But the plastic that's used is not a very hard plastic for the scabbard. And it doesn't have a very good flow in. So after you've used the Jameson saw for a few times, especially when you're climbing and it's on your saddle and you're trying to put it into a scabbard, um, the teeth start to dig in pretty heavily into the scabbard and it gets jammed in there really easily. It doesn't flow in very well and it doesn't want to, uh, you know, become, it becomes complicated sometimes to get it in. You think it's in there. Uh, it has somewhat of a clipping system to the handle, kind of like the Zubat does, but not the same system. And it, it just, you think it's in there. You think it's like solid and what's happened is the teeth have dug into the scabbard on the inside and then later it starts to halfway fall out and you realize oh i didn't have it fully in there and now of course you're fighting to get your handsaw back into the scabbard because it should have been in the scabbard based on phil and it wasn't and you know you know the story you know the game so um the the silky in that sense is way better the scabbard's just better designed it's more robust um, I didn't drop the Jameson or run over it or anything, but I'm pretty sure if a log got dropped on at once, it would either completely flatten out or break. Uh, that's just a guess once again, cause I didn't do that test. Uh, the blade on the Jameson does dull out faster for sure. I've only used it about a month and a half, two months, and I can already tell a significant difference in dulling. Uh, I do a lot of really wet cottonwood and really wet Siberian elm as well as a lot of very hard cottonwood and Siberian elm and ponderosa pine and pinion pine and juniper and cedar cutting um, for deadwooding. And yeah, you can notice pretty quickly that it lost its, its sharpness and cutting ability uh, pretty early on. So, um, you know, you can't buy an extra blade you get. Oh, and then one other thing to know is that the crazy scabbard on this thing, um, has some funky plastic, I mean, rubber, uh, uh, mount on it that 
supposed to go through your belt or whatever and then it has the two little side tabs to mount it to your leg their idea was that it would go on your thigh the upper rubber mount goes through your belt loop or your belt goes through those loops and then you put a elastic or velcro strap around the bottom of the saw and it goes on your thigh like if you're a master gardener or something i would assume um i don't know that they really intended this thing so much for tree climbers as much as maybe the uh avid residential arborists uh you know like in your garden or in your own yard or maybe a, a uh, an arborist at an arboratorium or something where they walk around a lot and do fine pruning I don't know really um, but the problem is that rubber tab is actually riveted on so it's not easily taken off and it just gets in the way if you're gonna wear the thing on your leg at all it doesn't strap very well to your leg and um, yeah i mean it works fairly well when you have it carabined onto one of your tool hooks or something like that um i carabined it through a uh ring on my uh evo saddle my my uh toy burger evo saddle and um my tree motion and it worked pretty well for that but it does add one more point of pivot so now you've got your carabiner running through this rubber strap because that's where the carabiner hole is that has yet another pivot with a rivet <laughs> that rhymed i didn't even mean to to the plastic scabbard itself and so now it flops around even more so the end result is it a horrible salt no it's not i'm, I'm giving it a pretty good hard time because I mean, I'm a Silky user. I love the Zubot and the thing is just really good. Um, but it's not a horrible saw, especially for 46 bucks. If you've got a groundie who constantly loses saws or you're afraid they'll constantly lose saws, or if you've got a new guy who's promising you the world and you're not sure he's gonna hang around, but you want him to have something and maybe um you're not ready to let him run a good chainsaw near the chipper yet this might be the saw for him and um let him work up to others and let him pay for the the silky saw if you're a production company and you have a hundred or two hundred um you know client uh climbers for you or employees and they all use hand saws this would be a good option for a budget saw to get and if you take the time to resharpen the teeth i'm pretty sure you could do it and um get a little bit more life out of them but yeah i, I don't know this saw's not horrible for the money though and as a climber as nitpicky as i am and the clean cuts i want for all the tip pruning i do yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with the silky over the jameson saw so um once again is it bad no it's not horrible at all um is it as good as a silky definitely not and the price shows it and the quality shows it so if you want a long time saw that just is silky smooth get the silky zubat or zubat whatever it is and um just avoid the jameson but if you want one that's good enough and decent like good medium to good quality then get the jameson one um, now that I've completely overtalked that subject, let's move on to the drawing 
the moral line and tree work topic. All right, so I know what you guys are thinking. What in the world is the moral line for tree work and how do you draw it? Well, you know, that's a really good question actually. And I don't know if a lot of people really think about it, but we all do it at some point and to some degree. So the moral line is where your morality or your ideal situation or what you're willing to do as far as tree work goes versus just doing whatever somebody asks you to do to make a little bit of money. We all know that there are those guys out there. Um, some of the old school guys, uh, if you're listening, don't mean to offend, but the reality is uh, some of the old school guys, in fact, somebody just told me the other day, I, I'm going to teach this guy to climb the way that I know how to climb, and that's with spikes. And what he means, because I, I know uh, due to past conversations is that he's going to teach somebody how to spike climb everything, including trees that are healthy, that they're just trimming. Yes. There's a big debate on that spiking tree that are healthy and how much damage does it really do? And does it really encourage infection and disease and whatever and whatnot? But the issue there isn't so much, uh, if you yourself can prove that it does or does not, um, but that the sanctioning bodies of arborist work have decided that at least in certain uh, ecosystems and in certain tree types um, in certain areas of the world that spiking healthy trees to trim them is something that does in fact increase the potential of them getting a disease or letting insects in uh, to invade the tree and, and cause it harm uh, to increase exponentially. So they have decided that as a tree climber, that is not a an acceptable way of climbing to trim trees and prune and things like that, unless what you are climbing on is going to be fully removed. And right or wrong uh, with reason or not I, I'm not saying I, I'm not a scientist I haven't seen all the data and everything I, I have seen trees that were uh, specifically spiked over the years multiple times and then when we cut them down there was decay pockets in it so either way there is some truth and effect to what they're saying uh, to what degree it's hard to tell once again it's all about tree species and things but the reason that these sanctioning bodies have made these decisions is for the overall best accomplishment of the trees so let's take another situation uh topping trees and, and we're not debating the the validity of these decisions we are talking about it being a standard now as to what ethically should be done for for trees right um so Maybe let's say that you're a more modern climber. You even if you're not young, but you you've kept up with the modern changes in climbing and um, in tree as an arborist in general and in tree ethics that ISA and TCIA and various others have stated as being the the best practices for uh, tree healthcare. And you come up to a client. And I had this happen recently to me, and, and so it made me think about it a little bit. And um, they have a limited amount of funds. 
they are only willing to spend so much for the work, no matter whether it be that they have the money or not. Just in their minds, it's only worth so much. And they really only want one specific aspect of the tree handled. Okay? This can be anything from, um, let's say that they want the canopy lifted, but they don't want to get the deadwood out. They don't want to get the infected limbs out. They don't want to get crossing limbs out. They don't want to thin the tree for better um, resistance of wind and you know better interior growth they they care nothing about that it just simply smacks them in the head every time they mow under it and they want it up um, will you do that so I, I'm not saying what my opinion is yes or no uh, a job that I had recently was this dirty old elm tree that hadn't been trimmed in I don't know how long if ever and um, it's over a busy highway and and they didn't want it to break off a limb and hit somebody on the highway and then become a liability issue and they had a very specific sum that they were going to pay and that was it and they were talking to some contractors or tree services I guess is the best way to say it that I knew potentially wouldn't do a great job um, they it would be more of a hack job and and so they don't want me to touch any other part of the tree just the part hanging over the road and whatever little bit of debt I can get out of it um, toward the house with the time that I have left over in the day and there were significant branches and leads that needed to come off. They were hanging over the road. So the, the reality is the day would be consumed handling the quote-unquote you know, necessary stuff. Uh, the question is, because they're not going to allow you to balance the tree better, do you, do you say, no, I'm not doing the job at all, or do you do it? Um, this really becomes a an ethics issue or a morals issue um, to some degree because you're going to get judged for it. Uh, let's think about it from the public perspective. Public doesn't know the ethics and morality of tree work, uh, what should be done or shouldn't be done or what's the best practice or what's not. They're not going on ISA and uh, checking what you're doing versus what I'm doing and seeing if we're holding the standard, right? But what they do know is what they consider to be a completed job or a uncompleted job. So they look at the tree and there's huge amounts of dead hanging brush that's all dense and about to break off and hanging over a house. And then they see one side of the tree that is thinned and trimmed. And of course, your trucks, your equipment are sitting out there and that person is telling others, you know what, so-and-so did this work for me and I'm totally satisfied with them. And they drive by and they're like, they did that? They didn't even finish the job. So what do you do? Do you let a company that you fear might really hack up the, the tree, creating a severe um, public hazard because of their heading cuts and just poor care for trees. And unfortunately, there are a number of companies here in, in our town that they've been topping and lion selling trees for, for decades. And that's exactly what they do. They just randomly 
look down at the ground where the white line is on the highway and they head it right there and whatever bushes out bushes out and they're done right um and yeah they go in and do the job for half the price that i would do but it's really not good it encourages tons of decay and in fact in this particular tree there was tons of decay in the branches and things from where that had been done in the past so from from the the stay with us we'll be right back you love listening to podcasts but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast maybe you want to build a brand grow your business or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. interest in public safety in your in your client if you're if you're interested in the person at all as a as a client do you let that job go to somebody else when that's all the money they can quote unquote afford whether it be true or just their perception for that work or do you just you know do you do it or do you let it go um this is really a, a situation that you run across more than not and we have to make these decisions um a big willow in the back of somebody's yard uh it has a huge main stem that has been attacked by poplar boar beetle uh, poplar boars and they are decimating the central lead but the rest of the um codominant uh, included branches at the base of the trunk that have grown into mature leads with substantial uh, secondary and tertiary growth have um, created huge amounts of shade for the people and it's a early 1920s home and the only thing they have is possibly window fans or an attic fan and no AC and they don't want to lose all their shade because it's the desert and it gets hot and they need some kind of shade um the trunk is already decaying everything is already there it's all substantially established do you take out that center lead and essentially top the tree where it's at leaving the others that are substantial even though you're not technically topping a tree because you're not taking off all the branches and foliage as topping traditionally is done but you are significantly altering the the main structure of the tree based on decay do you say no i'm not going to to remove that section i'm just going to remove the whole tree or do you say yeah um it's already decayed everything else is substantial with time everything else will need to be removed but i'll do this for you to prolong that removal of the full tree as long as possible so if you came here thinking i was going to tell you what to do you're wrong i can't it's not my place have i made perfect decisions no i haven't do i top trees no i don't do i spike live trees no i do not have i ever removed a large decaying lead of a pine or willow or the top of a pine i should say that has been struck by lightning essentially topping 20 foot out of the tree 
because it was blown to smithereens, but the rest of the tree seemed to be doing pretty good. Yes, I have. Shame on me. I know that's what some of you are saying. Say, you know, it, it's it's true. Um, it becomes difficult, but I want to make clear that in my mind, there is significant differences between needlessly topping a tree and topping a tree because of damage. Um, in fact, I know a lot of arborists where big tops have been blown out of trees, whether they're cottonwoods, pines, whatever, and the city asked them to do it with the instruction of an ISA arborist because they're not removing substantial canopy material other than what significantly broke out. And it's accepted under certain conditions. However, the problem that I run into is that some of these kinds of jobs with other clients or with, I'm sorry, with my clients, with other companies, they make comments to me. Well, I saw so-and-so doing this job and man, they went in there and they took out this and the tree looked awful afterwards. Well, the problem there is that they're not educated, right? The client doesn't understand why those decisions were made, but it's easy to make a judgment. It's easy to make a judgment for the part of the client. And even us as tree workers and arborists, when we drive by a tree and we see something, now clearly there are obviously issues that when when a tree is completely full of canopy and then you come back and some guy was there and now it's completely stripped it's lion's tailed it's a hundred foot tall all the leverage is out on the last 10 or 15 20 foot of the the leads and it had no need to be that way well that's obviously an issue when they were fully healthy trees with some big dead in them yes but they were substantially healthy and they cut down an 80 foot tree to a 30 foot height just randomly lopping off and then they go and strip all the side lateral branches as well that's more than a reduction because of breakage or health that's just bad arborist practices hate me if you will i don't care that's bad practices look up the bio biology of trees and how they work and you'll see very quickly why topping and lion's telling is not a good practice i don't have to say any more about that but the issue there with the work that we're talking about is what will we do and where do we draw that ethical or moral line for the trees being done? Because on one side, it may be a, an acceptable practice for the side of the tree to hopefully recover and, you know, create its wound wood, do its, uh, you know, callousing process and, and be a relatively healthy tree for many, you know, decades, hopefully more. But we know that people are going to see it and say, oh, well, Eric's Tree Service did that. And will it give us a bad reputation? Or we see this issue where somebody's extremely fearful of something and they don't have the money or don't want to pay the money for the rest of their tree to be trimmed, but yet they are afraid of this liability. And they say, you know what? I, I only want this side trim because of the liability and you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, if so-and-so does it, they're going to hack this thing. It's going to become more unstable. It's going to be a waste of this client's money and it's going to be potentially less safe in, in five years time. Well, 
we also have to think, well, at least I do, uh, it goes through my mind, what will others say if they come by and this tree is full of dead branches that I can't get out of here and just this one side is trimmed up? Will they think that I'm a hack as an arborist? Um, so once again, there's no real answer to this, but there are a few things that I've been thinking about and I think that maybe you guys want to think about as well. So before I go into any of these jobs, one of the things that I think about is I think about value for the client and if I can somehow make it more affordable for or more valuable for the tree's health. So I tried to I tried to at least throw out a bid that is significant enough to handle the work and get at least the major crossing and the major dead out of the tree. Um, that way at least there is some significant noticeable health increase in the tree as long as, as well as the work that's being done for the specific focus. And if they don't accept that bid, then I kind of just walk away because honestly, if they don't accept that bid, most likely it wasn't worth my time to do the other anyway. And also I start to think about what significant impact will my work have on the balance of the tree, not just visually, which of course is important, but literally the structural balance of the tree. Are they asking me to strip a whole side of the tree bare like is often and commonly done for power line clearing, leaving a tree that's mature and has self-balanced essentially to become unstable and unbalanced. What is the root system like? What, what are the indications that the root crown going to be like? And then do I feel like this would create a potential liability that 10 or 20 years from now could come back to haunt me. Uh, it's amazing to me how many of the contract climbers, arborists, um, companies that are out and about, uh, tree service companies, they, they have no idea that they can be held liable 20 years from now for the work that they did. If you poorly trim a tree out of accordance of current standards for the time and it fails because of your poor trimming there is a potential that you can be held liable for it. that's why you need insurance thing is if that happens there is a good chance your insurance will pay out and drop you and if you did it out of accordance they may not even cover you so this whole ethics and moral line of where you draw it and how much you're willing to do or not. In fact, I was called out last year to look at a job and I bid a, a fair price I felt for removing this huge silver poplar. It was full of decay. It still is. It has very little canopy. It's a hundred year old tree approximately. And the, the client was like, oh, but I love the tree and my neighbors are fearful of it. And honestly, with good reason, it only has about one third or maybe one quarter of the canopy in it. The rest of it was all dead wood. And it had a significant lean to one side and it had a large counterbalancing branch that hung out over a road, a, a very busy road downtown 
and my indication was just remove it. Well, they they called me back and said, we really want to work with Eric, and the city was involved in this. And the gentleman at the city called me up and said, hey, Eric, I'm talking to the client. They really want you to do the work, but they don't want the tree removed. Do you ethically feel qualified, not qualified, do you ethically feel okay with removing that large branch over the public road and trimming back on the opposite side to try to balance this tree without removing the tree. And I went and looked at it and at that point um, my, my rate was already as low as I could really uh, realistically go and make any money on it. And I knew that they were trying to chomp it down to this really budget thing and I was looking at it and honestly even if they had paid me more I didn't feel comfortable trying to balance the tree out because there weren't good reduction cuts on the side that was opposing the the branch leaning out over the road and so you're going to be left with some really funky looking stuff stuff that's under the you know generally accepted one third diameter uh, reduction cut uh, procedure uh, stuff that was already half alive and not really solid to cut back to as reductions and a trunk of a tree that was already showing significant fatigue and shelling of bark and root problems so um, I had to say no I just simply had to say I won't do it um, it's not worth the money for what they're willing to pay for the potential liability for my insurance and, and my, you know, my reputation legally. I mean, if somebody dies, that's on us. That's if somebody's injured, somebody's car gets crushed, all that stuff can be on us. Don't ever underestimate that. Um, I've talked to a few guys that work for insurance companies as uh, arborist inspectors and they're essentially I call them forensic arborists because they go out and look at what they think caused the tree to fail and if it was because there is a inappropriate cut or something like that then they can push the the insurance claim away from the homeowner and onto the arborist well who worked on this tree 15 years ago and they start digging into records and trying to find people who live there and they can get to you now Clearly, this is more common in higher, more affluent and higher income areas, um, cities and things like that, more than like little county towns and things. But insurance companies are not there for us. They are out there for themselves. Never underestimate that. And it's, it's something that I honestly take seriously because I don't want to be responsible for the the injury of someone else now there are certain things that are you know quote unquote acts of god or acts of nature or whatever they call them now and we can't control that you could have made every appropriate cut in the book and a strong enough wind will break a tree no matter how much you thin it or or whatever it may be but there is some level of responsibility that we have and we have to decide where we're going to put that that line of yes i'll do this job or no i won't and it's a good thing to, to think about. I, I don't think, um, I know there are a group of guys out there. Um, most likely you're the ones listening to this show because you tend to be more podcast listeners. But 
there are a group of arborists that are conscientious they they know what they're doing they know the the potential litigation issues they know the potential situations that they could be put in and they take the ethics and moral aspects of arborist work seriously but the question is have you really thought about it and where's that line and have you been drawing a line too far out there to to put your head under a chopping block or or do you still feel comfortable with it if not you might want to start changing what you do and reevaluating it um once again i don't have an answer for you it's for each person each tree each situation each region has their own issues um i know that oak wilt is a big issue in the midwest or northern midwest and um it, it, some people trim oak trees in the summer and it can create this awful condition that will potentially kill 100 plus year old oaks and you can be responsible for replacement of that tree if you cause that disease to come in so you know what do you do do you it's it's a hard it's a hard thing to consider so i hope that helps you guys out a little bit to think about a few aspects there's not a solid answer to it i wish there was it'd make life a lot easier same thing goes with just general arborist practices you know the the standard is don't don't trim a tree more than a quarter of its canopy out that's not always possible depending on the tree sometimes you can't even take near a quarter out or the tree would just be bald um, because the tree's on its last leg anyway and other times you've got so much breakage in it and you're left with such weak things you have to readjust a little bit but it, all of these things are based on principles right not on laws because if you go by a law only then your hands are really tied and you could do some damage so where's the moral line i don't know i'd like to know what you guys think about it tell me if you're thinking about the moral line or if it even matters to you and if so what are you considering to make your decisions so hope that guy hope that helps you out guys please don't forget to continue to listen to the show don't forget to subscribe to the podcast via your preferred um app store whatever it is itunes apple itunes spotify stitcher uh any of your podcast um distribution sites or google play or whatever please don't forget to um send me a note via uh instagram if you want it's at eric underscore mcgrew that's e-r-i-c underscore m-c-g-r-e-w and i will see you guys or not see you because i'm on the radio or podcast but i will bring another episode to you guys soon take care